Hello and welcome to the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast. A healthy entrepreneur is someone who achieves business success whilst prioritising their physical and mental well-being. In other words, they understand the healthy hustle. They possess the ability to effectively manage their business operations, make strategic decisions and nurture their personal health and brand for sustainable growth and long-term success. My guest today is Courtney McDermott, a best-selling author, TEDx speaker and mind-body expert with a Master of Science from London School of Economics. Her work in the field of self-development and business strategy has been featured in Inc., Women's Health, Success, The Huffington Post, Fox News and many other mainstream business and lifestyle media. Courtney's career highlights include her time as executive at Vanity Fair Corporation, Vice President at Sustainability Partners and then running her own business with clients and audiences at Universal Music Group. Google, Nike, Virgin, and NASA. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. It's amazing to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Freddie. I'm super excited to be here. I'm well, and uh, yeah, let's talk. Perfect. So it's, it's really exciting to have you on. And in the, in the intro there, we've just heard about the amazing successes that you've had in your career. So I really want to jump in and ask you to start with a question around that, around the change that you made in your life, because Some people would say that you had it all right. So you were the senior exec in a Fortune 500 company. You had the money, the cars, the awards, but you weren't happy. So my question to you is, when did you realize that it was not fulfilling you? Mm. Well, I, I joke that I had multiple cold shower moments. You know, there were quite a few times where it was almost like waking up a little bit in a, in a crazy dream right? I won't even necessarily say a bad dream. It was just like a crazy dream, you know, or, or something like, oh, wait, was I just dreaming that? So I had these moments where I just felt like whose life is this, right? Or whose script is this? And I wrote about this in my first book because, you know, as your point, I had all these symbols of success and all the things that are supposed to make you happy, but I kept realizing this isn't it, you know, and all of this, searching just around the corner for what success was, was just not working. And I think like if anyone still pauses long enough in their life, they realize that's not the way. And so I kept getting these, luckily, these still pause moments that then became longer and longer and started to transform my life. That's amazing. So what was the first step you did when you, you, know, you had those cold shower moments? What did you start to put in place to be like, oh, I'm going to make a change. This is where I'm going to go. Mm. Well, I'd say that one of the first things I started to do was really get with the sensations that I was having, right? Because we talk about things like frustration or upset, and those are oftentimes these sort of mental circles we're running versus these real sensations that we're living in our body. And when we start to pay attention to, wow, something's really off, I there's something really off sensation wise. And what is that? And so the more I started to do that, the more I started to realize that there was this massive disconnect between my body and my mind, right? And I had this sort of sense that I hadn't been paying any attention to my body. And so one of the first and definitely the most powerful things I did was really starting to get more embodied and start to notice and really listen to my body. So then I could entertain more how to shift things on the mental level as well. Mm, It's really interesting because I think it's something that so many people can relate to, you know, having that feeling Mm. of this is not quite right for me. And I saw um, 
when I was looking into you know your 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 journey that there was a study that you referenced where it showed that by 35 most people hate their jobs because they they don't believe they've gone as far as they thought they would right is that something that you can relate to or something that you can you can see through your work because I can certainly you know uh, resonate with it it's not I'm not 35 but it's certainly when I got into my mid-20s I started to think I've always gone through university and you know jobs where I thought I was really good and maybe it's that delayed gratification that we're not quite okay with you know and you start to think I should be further mm. I don't know whether it's pressure of society but is that something that you've definitely seen in your work? Yeah, well, so that was actually from a, an interview with Fox News Chicago. So I, when I went on that broadcast after the release of my first book, they were citing these studies. And I have definitely seen that. You know, I go around the world. I work with corporations, universities, et cetera. And you see it everywhere. You don't just see it at the corporate level. You see it at university level. You see these people who are kind of in this race to somewhere <laughs> to become quote unquote someone, right? And it's very destabilizing when you realize who, who is this someone that I'm trying to become? Where is this someplace that I'm trying to go? And you start to question all of that. And to your point, it is definitely very much a, a societal affliction. And it, then it becomes something that you take on inwardly. And that's where the game, unfortunately, is kind of running its own show. Because once inwardly, you're convinced that in order to be, quote unquote, someone or to go, quote unquote, someplace, you're no longer in your, you know, your truth. You're no longer in the truth of, of who you are, in the truth of the moment, which is where all the magic happens. Mm. Do you think we're all trying to achieve happiness? Do you think that's where, where we think we're going? Is that the end goal? Do you think that's sort of why people get that sort of unsettled in the early stages of, of midlife, I guess, where you start to go, I'm not getting towards that end goal of happiness that I've always thought about? Yeah, that's such a good question because I think we are we are innately wired to be joyful, joyful or ecstatic, I want to say. It's so funny because these terms get really messy in the sense that a lot of times people think, oh, I need to be happy. Well, what does that mean? Like, for example, in my book, I talk about that you can be very happy in a way that doesn't look like happy to other people, right? You can tap into this joy, this wellspring of joy that exists within you that is actually in and behind whatever metaphor you want to use, any human experience that you're going through, if you will have the courage to actually be fully in the experience itself. And so we are looking at this open-hearted wonder and curiosity that is our very nature. If you look at any child, you can see this so clearly. Our nature is open wonder, curiosity, enthusiasm, right? In, in Theos, in God, enthusiasm. Yeah, so this is the thing. If when we connect with that, and again, it's independent of any uh, if, of any striving, of any experience that you know you need to have. It's just what's right in front of me right now that I can sort of wonder at and in. And again, this is our natural state, but we've been sort of deprived by it again by that, what we were talking about a moment ago, that tendency to think we need to get someplace else or be some other way than how we are. Totally, absolutely. And I think 
I think people don't spend enough time thinking about their passion and therefore they don't know what mm. that happiness is and they can't enjoy the joy which is the journey and one of the talks that I've seen you do which I thought was fantastic and I've sent to a few people I can't actually remember where it is now but I'll find it out and I'll put it in the show notes um you spoke about live by design but the bit that really hit me was you said mm. go within find flow and then lead you actually said it in a different order but I changed the order just because that's how it resonated with me the way you said it still yeah. kicked it off and I thought that's actually incredible because yes live by design is which is what I want you to touch on is how you build it out but what you started with you know spending time finding your passion which is what what hit me about it getting to that flow state getting to that 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 understanding of where you're going and then lead with confidence and then obviously you then go on to live by design that really hit me I'd love to hear a bit more about about that and where you came up with that and how you've lived by that yeah well so there's there's a lot to unpack there but the the biggest the biggest point i think in all of that is is this learning and it comes from all of our greatest traditions it it's prevalent throughout all of them which is dip in or you know go inside however you want to what however you want to conceive of that but this idea that know thyself right know thyself it's at the basis of everything who are you right? But we spend so much time sort of running away from that. And I think we have to be mindful when we consider this idea of pursuing your passion, because so many people get tripped up in thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I, what I want. So I'm, again, I'm not anybody, right? So they, we fall into this trap instead of just tuning into, I, I don't know that there's any word that's adequate to express this. I'll call it light because that's sort of the closest I can come to in, in our language to express this sensation of, of what you are, which is just this infinite, unbounded potential, right? We see that in the splitting of an atom, of an atom. The single cell contains the information of the entire cosmos. If you truly got with what's there, you would be in such astounded gratitude and enlightenment on a consistent basis that whatever is happening is joyful. Whatever is happening is exciting. You wake up and you think, man, I'm just excited to be here. What's, what's, what's going to happen today? I don't know. Right. And you don't care, but in the best way, you don't care in the way of, I am just trusting I'm in full trust. And that brings us to the point that you made at the end of the question, which is around confidence, which I think is a, a term that's grossly misunderstood. And if you want, we can talk more about that. Well, I mean, I've got a bit of deja vu because we have touched on this before when we've spoken previously. <laughs> and it's, that is how I said, um, how I said, I think I positioned myself and other people can position themselves in that position of confidence when you talk about, um, and I'd love to unpack that in a moment. And we spoke about lying on your back outside at night in a clear sky and you look up at the stars and you either you think one of two things you either think you're so tiny that there's no point in going on or you think you're so tiny you may as well have a, a massive impact go out there and do absolutely everything you can um i just want to reiterate that because i know we spoke about it before and it was quite I, I think it was quite a cool point so how could we look at that and then bring it towards the point of confidence that you mentioned was misunderstood Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting link. Let's see if we can make it. So, well, I just love this point of looking up at the stars and the sky and the vastness and the immensity and the intensity of it all, because 
in that moment, you can realize this basic fundamental truth that's prevalent in our most advanced sciences, which is nothing matters. <laughs> and I love that expression because nothing is the wellspring. It's this thing that no one can describe, no one can, no one can really adequately explain, but it's the wellspring from which all matter all material, all physical matter takes form. So at the same time, you are nothing and you are everything. You are the material and the non-material. You are the particle and the wave. It is absolutely fascinating when you sit with it because you're like, whoa, it's all a thought. It's all a thought. And when you convene with that, you start to, and here's the link with confidence, you start to trust that however it goes, it's okay. The word confidence comes from confidere, with trust, with full reliance. And we have talked about this previously, but we can share it again here, which is we trust in virtually everything that's occurring within and outside of us. You know, we have to have this inherent trust, trust in order to survive, right? You're trusting that your reticular activating system in your brain is going to filter through the gargantuan amount of information that you are being exposed to on a second to second basis. You're trusting that the trillions of biochemical reactions occurring in your body this very second are going to keep doing their job for you to keep having this conversation. And in the same way that you're trusting what's happening inside, you're trusting what's happening outside. You know, I often joke, you're not making a five-year plan for, for, the, for the planets to keep their rotation, right? You're not worried in whatever part of the hemisphere you're in, if the sun's going to come up or not. You don't go to bed fretting over that uh, unless you have some psychoses. So you trust, you trust. And yet there is this infinitesimal part of our lives that we take and we say, nope, can't trust there. Nope, 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 nope. In the relationship, in the business, in the whatever it is, no, there I have got to control. And when you recognize the absurdity of your attempts at control and you start to relax, worlds open up to you. The nothing becomes everything. The particle becomes the wave, and vice versa. <laughs> uh, so yeah, voila, c'est ça. I think that's I think that's amazing. There's so much there that we could talk about because it just it hits me with so many things. Like you know, in business, you would say simple sells, complex fails because it's so it's so true what you're saying. And since we last spoke, we actually touched last time on, on the same point, which is that everyone goes to bed at night completely with the confidence they're going to wake up. But something like 200,000 people, which is the thing that I've learned now, don't wake up every single night, which is a terrifying statistic. But it links to confidence because you can't control that. It is what it is. That's the that's the, the way we have to live by. And I really want to touch on the reticular activating system because I've heard you speak about it before. And it's that link, isn't it, that is trying to find the answers to the questions. So I guess my question or the link here is between the reticular activating system and the trouble that we have in, in overthinking in modern day society and how that holds us back. I'd love to hear a bit more about the neuroscience mm -hmm. there or how you can elaborate there. Yes, oh, oh gosh, this is such a packed question. I, it's so exciting. I feel like, oh, this is a whole lecture. Okay, so the overthinking bit is a really interesting and very, very 
poignant observation, which is this. The average person is having somewhere, we know this from the science, right? Somewhere around 50 to 70,000 thoughts per, per day. Okay. So you, you got 50 to 70,000 thoughts brewing up there, right? And, and again, we don't know the origin of thought, but you're receiving these electrical impulses, some of which you're holding on to and repeating in your psyche, et cetera. So, and for most people, those are the same thoughts every day. Now, what we know is those thoughts are also generating, especially the ones that we're continuing to run, they're generating these specific sensation responses, also known as you know, chemical responses or neuropeptides that then we're releasing into our body. So that brings up a whole, whole nother conversation. But I want to go back to the overthinking, which is when you start to calm, when you've got all of this tumult, all of this noise, all of this distraction, it is incredibly difficult for you to relax into what I was talking about a moment ago, into the realization that you're everything and nothing. Okay. So one of the think one of the precepts of what we call meditation or just sitting quietly with yourself is about learning to calm that tumult at the top of the on the waves of the ocean, right? So you can go into those depths where you have that peace. You can feel that ecstatic joy about everything, right? So when we look at it from, again, from the, from the perspective of learning how to direct your reticular activating system or learning how to lessen the amount of thoughts you're having, because a lot of people think, oh, it's so great that I can do all these things and I can multitask and I'm so busy, right? We live in this culture that glorifies busy. I'm always telling people, people are like, oh, you must be so busy. I'm like, I am not busy. I don't do busy. I don't believe in busy. Um, and I wish our society didn't believe in busy. Busy is for bees. I don't, I don't do that. What I do is directed, loving work and and I, I think the work is personal as well. I don't, I don't uh, distinguish between those. But let's look at how you start to direct and how you, your reticular activating system and how you start to calm that onslaught of thought. So, and I do go into this deeply in my book for people to have really practical ways, but let's look at a couple of things that are immensely helpful. One is your reticular activating system responds mostly to questions. So by the way, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the RAS, the reticular activating system, it's that part of your brain that searches for the answers to the questions you're asking for, or it searches for the corresponding results of what's prevalent, what's most prevalent in your thought patterns. So for example, how this works, you can see it, people say all the time, I bought this new car, and then all of a sudden everyone had the same car right? You start to notice that, that, that car, right? Why? Because that part of your brain is saying, this is important to Freddie. Let's bring it into his immediate conscious awareness because there's so many things you're not consciously aware of that are occurring around you all the time. So it's saying, let's bring it in there, right? Cause he cares about this. So one of the things that's fundamental for people to start to understand is what are the questions you're asking? right? If you're asking the question, why are all the good ones taken? Or uh, uh, why, why, does, why, why is it so difficult to make money? Or whatever those, whatever those demotivating or demoralizing, however you want to put it, disempowering questions are, your brain's job, this part of your brain, its job is to find answers to that. <laughs> so when you start to direct your questions and your thoughts in a more uh, cohesive and empowering way, you are enlisting 
this operating system to aid you in the finding of that. Seek and you shall find. Now, there's also this point of lessening the thought. This is a much more difficult work, but it's very, very worthwhile, which is learning how to dis just let go of the thoughts, whatever they are, you know, good, bad, or as Shakespeare put it uh, brilliantly, nothing, neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. So you just start to let them, and rather than dismiss, that's the wrong word, you just let them move through. You let them move through. You don't try to hold on to them and you don't try to push them away. You don't try. This is the Wu Wei, you know, the art of basically not trying or not doing. You just let it go. And that's when you open up. When you start to experiment with that and really work with those powers, wow, that's <laughs> that's a really, really good um, play. That's a really fun and, and amusing and then ultimately freeing. Because what we're talking about here is freeing yourself. We're not talking about get it going out and getting anything. We're talking about freeing yourself so you can experience all of it in those states of peace and ecstatic joy that we were talking about. It's incredible. And it makes me think about when we hear, you know, you can unlock more percentage of your brain or imagine if we could use the entire capacity of our brain. It, like, it feels that there's so much more. And like you said before, we're, we're literally not doing it. So. I guess my question is, what is the, is there a neuroscientific risk of overthinking or allowing yourself to have the same 50 to 70,000 thoughts, which I can't believe it's that many per day? Like, is there something that happens in your brain if you just let yourself do the same thing? You never change the pattern. You never, you know, consider, should I be thinking this? You never challenge yourself. Is there something that goes on in your brain? It feels like you're not exercising it potentially is my, you know, my guess. Is there something that you can add to that? Well, what we do know and what's really fabulous is this thing called neuroplasticity, right? So it's this possibility and potential that we have all the time to create new synopses or new connections between the neurons in our brain, which is why, uh, you know, people think oftentimes, or it used to be thought, and this used to be thought in science, that after a certain age, you were no longer able to create new synopses. You were no longer able to create new connections. In other words, if you tried, tried to learn a language after a certain age, then you were just SOL, right? <laughs> but I have seen, and I know that the science now demonstrates, which is lovely, that we not only can create new connections and new neural pathways, we, are, we can also rewire ourselves genetically. And there we get into epigenetics, which is a really fascinating field of study. But just to stay on the brain and the, and the neuroscience, since you're asking about that specifically, the way the brain works, lots of times we hear it talked about as like a, a, wiring or things like that, almost as if it were this linear, uh, linear environment. But really the brain is a vast ecosystem, right? We have hundreds, you know, we have, we have just, it's remarkable what's occurring there, right? So when you start to actually exercise this capacity to build these new pathways, what you're doing is it's going to be very uncomfortable at first, because when you start doing this, it's like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do this other thing, whatever the persistence in it is what will start to rewire things. Because again, if you look at all those thoughts and you asked about the risk of having those thoughts, uh, especially repeated thoughts, the quote unquote risk is simply that you are living a very limited expression of what is available to you. 
So one of the ways I like to talk about it is like, imagine you had this vast library, you know, you've got this infinite library and you can take out any book you want from the library, but you keep going to the library and pulling the same book and being like, my name is People Papo. I live on Via Cariola. My best friend's name is Sam. My girlfriend's name is whatever it is. Right. And this book is your book. And you're like, that's my book. That's my book. And you are ignoring all these other potentials. I personally have learned multiple languages as an adult. I have, and I didn't learn them as a child. So I wasn't preparing my brain for that. I learned music as an adult, you know, all these kinds of things. And that doesn't make me special. That makes me you. Whoever's listening, whoever's tuning into this, this is a reminder of what is in you, your capabilities, your potentials. And this often gets overlooked as we look to someone else and say, oh, but they did it or I can't. No, 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 no. <laughs> the work, the science, the study, the experience, the proof points all in the same direction that you have infinite potentials available to you. It's incredible, isn't it? There's so much value and there's so much opportunity for people. So how can we use our body and our mind in unison to create more of what we want? Is there, is there a formula? Is there something we can start to do? To, start to unleash the power? Well, I think first we got to be using our bodies a lot more than we are currently, right? And remembering the wisdom that lives in the body. I get into this as well in the second book. And I talk a lot about different ways that I've used to access, but one of my favorite things to do is to start releasing some of that stuck stagnant energy, right? Because as we go through our day, as we go through our year, as we go through our life, we accumulate a lot of, I want to say sediment or debris, right? There's this, there's this like gunk. Okay. And we don't just do this in our physical. We do this in our mental. I once heard of, of I loved this. I heard Wayne Dyer talking, I think it was like probably two decades ago that I listened to this talk of his, where he was saying, you know, we all go around with this huge bag of manure strapped onto our backs. And every once in a while we put it down and we reach inside and we spread it all over ourselves. And we're like, why does my life smell so bad? Right. And it's all that stuff we're carrying around, all those thoughts, all those, um, you know, experiences that we just won't let go of. We won't. And the question is why? Why are you holding on to them still? Let them go. And I know at first when you're reworking yourself like this, it is incredibly difficult. You have got to ask for grace. You have got to ask for this intelligence to step in and really help you with this because it is, it is a deconditioning and a reconditioning in the truth. So you just let some of that go. One of the ways I do it with the physical is I, lo I love to shake every part of my body so I can release any tension or fear or frustration or anything. Uh, I love that. When I first learned this technique, it was kind of just mind blowing for me. I couldn't shake lots of my body when I first learned it. I was so stuck in my ways. I couldn't shake fully. I remember how uh, rigid I was then. And, and I actually remember having this total release in, in tears of like, wow, I've just been ignoring this. I've been forcing myself into a, into a sitting position behind a computer all day long. Why? And there's nothing wrong with doing precisely what we're doing right now and sitting here for the betterment of yourself and others. 
There's nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. But when we sit in this stuck, stagnant pattern, because we believe that's all there is, that's where we start to really limit ourselves. So I want to, yeah, I want to really emphasize that however you do it, it's not my way. It's not Freddie's way. It's not, it's not anyone else's way. It's your way, right? It's really tuning into what does my body need? What, how can I release some of this? How can I let it go? Um, I, I could go on and on about that, but I think that's, that's probably enough to answer the question for now. <laughs> I, I think, you know, so, so what you're saying there, so many people don't think that they are here for more. They think that, like you said, touched on earlier, actually, they think they are so normal. They haven't got any value. You know, they're not going to do that shaking exercise because they're like, no, 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 it's, that's not for me. That's for someone who's, you know, on a podcast or doing something different. And so many people that we talk to just feel like, they haven't got enough to do or to say or value to offer and therefore they couldn't possibly risk getting out there and, and changing the, the, the level or the gear that they're currently in. What would you say to that kind of person, someone who thinks they're just, they're just normal? Mm, I love that. Oh gosh. Okay. I sometimes when I'm going around the world and giving presentations, I normally don't use slides, but recently I've been using this one slide and Oh, a couple slides, but really just this only because I wanted to share this one, which is a picture of me from 10 years ago when I was working in corporate. And most of the people in the audience do not recognize me. They do not recognize me in the picture at all. <laughs> and the ones that kind of catch something in the picture that they're like, what? And you just see mouth agape. They cannot entertain the idea that I have had such massive changes in my physical, in my form. Why? How? It's not a special diet. It's not going, you know, meditating 10 hours a day in a cave. They are changes and shifts in my consciousness. It's so simple that it's elusive. It's staring you right in the face. It's your consciousness that is creating your form. You are far more space than anything else. So whether you believe yourself to be normal is, or, or, or extraordinary is irrelevant. Uh, by your very nature, you are extraordinary because of the fact that you are far more nothing than something. And even though lots of times we say that that's a bad thing, you know, I'm nothing or I'm nobody. The title of my next book is I am no body. Okay. When you realize that you are not the body and you are not the mind and you go beyond these constructs of that society has created again to create a special someone because you're only somebody if you're special or a some place that you have to be that's not where you are. When you tap into that, you will start to understand and have the courage to say, well, if nothing matters, in other words, if nothing creates all matter, then what does it matter? I can play, you know, in the ancient teachings around the, the, the whole essence of this world is something called lila or play. You are just playing and you are even playing if you don't realize you're playing. Anyway, I talk a lot about that in the book, so, um, but, but uh, it's, uh, it's this chance, it's this opportunity to be like, okay, whatever, I'm going rogue, I'm going rogue. And you know what? Yeah, some people are not, I, if I had... If I literally, I'm not even saying if I had a dollar or a euro, like if, or whatever your currency is, if I had a penny, 
for every time I think someone told me that's crazy or what are you thinking or why are you doing or whatever? And I was just like, well, I'm just experimenting, right? Because why not? If I had it and for all the people who were naysayers, and I, this isn't to, to, to diss any of them at all. This is to say, who cares? In the best way, again, who cares, right? You're, you're here today. You're gone tomorrow. What are you going to do? If you knew that today was your last day, if you knew that this year was your last year or your month, what would you do? Would you care if the next door neighbor thought you were a little wacky because you were running around your house blowing bubbles out of a, you know, what's that called? You know, with a bubble thing. <laughs> would you care? Would you care? Or would you just say, I, I'm going to choose happiness today. I'm going rogue today. And this doesn't mean neglecting your um your, your sacred responsibility to love everyone and everything. You have a sacred responsibility in this life to love. It doesn't mean that you say, oh, I don't care what they think. I'm going to drink a six pack and lay on my back and screw them all. This means I'm going to choose my light today, this very moment right now. And then I'm going to choose it the next moment and the moment after that and the moment after that. That is the only correct use of your free will. You do not have free will to direct outcomes. You have free will to direct the nature of your attention and your, and your intention, your awareness, and your consciousness. Well, if that's not motivating people listening now, I don't know, I don't know what is going to motivate them. I think that's, uh, <laughs> that's and it's, it just it hits me so hard in the journey that we've been on over the last few years. And this is going to sound really was pathetic. We're celebrating my dog's third birthday today. Not a big deal. Beautiful. But I said to Sent some pictures to my uh, my parents this morning because they're obviously three hours behind us in the UK. And um, my mom just met, sent me a message and it was like, um, happy birthday to the dog, whatever. But she was like, uh, have a great day. Go out, be courageous, uh, cause chaos and have fun. And I replied to her saying, where does that come from? That's not the kind of person that she would normally, things you would normally say, right? And I was like, that is, I've starred it in my WhatsApp. And I was like, what a fantastic sort of thing to think about. Go out, like you say, Go rogue, cause some chaos, have an ex do some experimenting. And if, if, you, if you're listening and you haven't heard some of uh, Courtney's talks, there are, there are some amazing ones online. And one of the ones that I really liked was where you touched on uh, your new book, actually. It's the same phrase of your new book's title. But you also said, understand your magnificence, which I actually thought was incredible. And that is something that I think we should all, just that sentence alone, let alone the talk, is incredibly powerful. And you also say, you are the answer you're seeking, you know? I think that is, and you also touch on actually finding your genius. That is something that we all need to hear. We've all got geniuses inside us. We've all got that phoenix that you also say. We are not, none of us are normal. We're always, we're all different. We can learn from each other, literally every single person. So if you're looking to find your genius and take that next step, whether it's to move from your job to entrepreneurship or from entrepreneurship just to a different level or just change your mindset in some way, what are some steps we could take to find your, your genius or to take a step towards what you think you should be doing? There's really only one step and I'm going to share it in just a bit because it's not a step, it's a realization and I will share it in a moment, but I want to backtrack to your mom and what she said. <laughs> and I want to take a moment to recognize her expression of genius in sending that message to you. And it was funny because when you were talking, I, I had this instinct to just look at the time, not because I'm in any way rushed on time, but because I was wondering what day is it? What time is it? I often get lost in the whole 
space-time continuum uh, construct. And I was like, wow, it's the 11th. And I don't know when this is going to air, but it's like the 11th of October at 11 a.m. that we're talking, right? It's so, it's like the magic is in everything if you let it be. And it's not if you don't let it be. And it doesn't matter. It can be everything. It can be the mundane. And it's just like, it's just, you're seeking out those miracles, right? You're seeking them out. And I want to recognize your mom. And I hope that after I answer this, that you will also share the story of your dad and the shifting of the gears that you told me last time we talked, because I really love that. And I want to, I want to recognize and honor both of your parents today. They're such beautiful beings um, and, and all parents. So to answer your question, to answer your question about how you find it, there is a clue in the Bible, a very, very, very powerful clue. And I'm not, I, I'm not associated with any, um, I, I'm not trying to give any sort of, I, I study all religious um, and, well, I should say all spiritual traditions. I'm very, very interested in, in the teachings there. There's a line in the Bible that says something, something along, seek thee first the kingdom of heaven and all things shall be, shall, shall come unto you, right? In other words, Seek ye first the divine or the light, or again, however you want to you want to conceive of it. It's the intelligence that I was talking about earlier. If you if your ardent desire is to connect first with that, all things will be revealed to you. All things will be available to you because you are all things. So this may sound very difficult or woo-woo or whatever. It's not. It's not. It's as Pascal said and brilliantly, Pascal, he said, all, and I'm paraphrasing, but all of our troubles stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. If you really get with yourself and get with this and you've got to give it space. It's not going to take over unless you let it. This is, again, your free will. If you're running around saying, oh, I've got to check all my social media, like, and again, nothing wrong with all those things. But if that's your priority, you are not seeking first this kingdom of heaven, which resides within you. Seek ye first these riches that are in you and all other riches come onto you. This is the truth. This is, this is the ultimate truth. There's nothing simpler and yet evasive because we make it so. We choose, oh, no, I'm not going to. Why would I spend my time in that? You know, it's like the Dalai Lama said something along the lines of, if you think you don't have 10 minutes to meditate, meditate for an hour. Get with yourself. Get with who you are, what you really are, and your whole life will change. And then at that point, paradoxically, you won't really care so much about the material or the way you look or whatever else. It'll all just sort of become secondary to the truth of that you're all of it and you're just playing. But please amazing. tell the story about your dad. <laughs> yeah, I think all of that is so cool. And I think, yeah, it does actually link to my dad. So I might get this wrong now, but effectively what we were talking about last time was the idea that obviously you want to find who you are, where you're going, that kind of thing. And People want to, get, want to get there as fast as they can. They don't know what tools to use and that kind of thing. And I told you that when we, when I was younger, we used to go to, we used to drive to France a lot. That was our, that was our holiday. It was not far from the southern, southern UK. And I would always ask when I was young, maybe like under 10, to my dad when he was driving, I was in the back, which gear do you use to go fastest? 
And I kind of thought, you know, it's going to be the biggest gear. I, was, I thought I knew everything. Obviously not everything, but a little bit. And my dad always said, depends what you're doing, depends where you're going. Because what he's effectively saying very literally is, if you want to pull off, you go in first. If you want to get to the top speed of the car, it's fifth or sixth whatever car you've got. But what he was truly saying was, you need to find your own rhythm to where you're going, I think is what he was saying. That's what I've taken from that. Even when I was, it's one of the earliest memories I have from, from him telling me stuff. And I think I'm portraying my parents as like stoics. You know, they're both really, they all say to themselves, they're very normal people. They're both police officers and were for 30 or 40 years. But I think the lessons that they've given us, me and my brother, and we've been able to take from them were bigger than we actually thought at the time. I thought, you know, you're just frustrating me. I want to know how to drive a car in 10 years time when I'm 18 or 17, <laughs> the fastest. But what he was saying was, think about where you are now. You know, as a, as a, a seven-year-old, it doesn't matter which gear goes fastest. It matters which gear I need to be in in my life at the time, I think is what he was saying and he subsequently told me. So yeah, that's uh, that was the story that we, we touched on, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I need to share, there's so many nuggets of wisdom in this. First and foremost, it goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago, which is when you first start seeking this, this truth, this truth of who you are, this ultimate question of who am I, you are going to feel like you're in first gear and you are pedal to the metal. You are just so much exertion, an enormous exertion of energy because you're redirecting your energy. Your energy has not been moving in this direction. So you're redirecting it. So the initial phase of this is going to feel a bit exhausting. It's going to feel a bit exhausting. And I would liken it to a rocket ship. Okay. I think a rocket ship consumes something like 90 some odd percent of its fuel, over 90% of its fuel in takeoff, in takeoff. And then it goes to outer space and doesn't need, you know, nearly as much. It is precisely that. So we are saying, okay, we're going to redirect everything. We are going to, we are going to get to that place of ease where we feel this peace and this, this ecstasy again about nothing and everything. But initially there's going to be an efforting and that is right because it is your determination. Again, it is the correct use of your free will. I also love it because at the time you and I were talking about brainwave frequencies and it's very much akin to that because lots of times people are feeling this sense of overwhelm simply because they're in a frequency that doesn't match the, uh, you know, the, that relaxing nature of how we're supposed to receive and live. So yeah. Oh gosh. What brilliance. Thank you to your parents and thank you for their service. And thank you for them bringing you into this world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love them already. I don't know them personally, but I love them. So we, we, need, to, we need to get off that subject because I'm sure they'll listen to this and they'll, they'll ring me thinking that they're everything, but that they are, they are everything to me. So <laughs> I actually really wanted to touch on that, that rocket ship thing, because I'm the kind of person that will pull a story or a, a learning out of anything. And you're completely right. And just something that's even more crazy to think when you tell that story, I was thinking when rockets take off, I think you have like SpaceX or something, they get to that point where they're like five or six miles off the ground. And there's a point where there's the most pressure on them and they throttle down ever so slightly to get through that pressure barrier. And then they throttle back up after 10 or so seconds, because if they weren't to do that, there'd be too much pressure and it would blow up. Isn't that a mm. lesson? Right, wow. as you're going to space, you literally have to throttle down ever so slightly so you don't blow up, 
and then carry on your your path i think i mean that just hit me again like <sighs> a spot on isn't it it's exactly the same thing wow. exactly i, I, I wanted to ask you as well. sorry i wanted to just touch on i'm gonna have to ask you to talk about blissipline because we touched on it last time and i've not brought it around <laughs> in such a nice way this time but i just seen it on my notes and i thought actually we've got to go to blissipline a little bit yeah. Yeah. Well, blissipline is a term that I believe was coined by Joseph Campbell. Um, and he does a lot of work on just our, our, our myths, the myths of our human experience and the roles, uh, characters we play, et cetera. But he talked about blissipline and this is a perfect tie-in actually, Freddie, because blissipline are those things that kind of, you know, you need to be doing in order to tap into this wellspring of light and however, again, however you want to conceive of it, but to tap into the truth of who you are, you know, there are certain things that you've been saying, oh, I, I should do this, or I should do this other thing, or, but you put them off. And I do go through very specific ways to kind of learn how to prioritize your discipline so you can experience more of this um, in, in the book, if anyone's interested in that, or even just sending a note, we can, you know, give a PDF. But, um, but I do want to talk specifically about why people don't do it. Why people don't stay blissiplined. I heard the, a really brilliant thing recently from Michael Singer's work. I just loved it. It was so good. He goes in, he works with prison inmates, which is also something I want to do. And uh, he goes in and he, he gives talks in these prisons to what are called lifers, you know, people that, who are in the prison for life. And he was telling, he was recounting this story of going into um, these prisons with these men and giving them a talk and talking about free will. And he says, you know, he says to them, well, you know, do you have free will? And all these guys are saying, well, obviously I don't, I don't have a lot of, you know, will or sorry, will not free will, willpower. I don't have a lot of willpower, obviously. Otherwise I wouldn't be in here. Right. They're all kind of could, you know, have coming to the same conclusion. He says, well, come on, come on that, you know, that can't be true that you don't have willpower. You know, they're saying, no, 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 we don't have willpower. We really don't have willpower. You know, like put the cigarette up. I can't, I can't stop myself from, from taking a puff. I just can't, I can't, I can't. And they say, and, and so Michael Singer puts this question for us. It's just such brilliance, man, such brilliance. He says, he says, if a beautiful woman, like the most beautiful woman you've ever seen in your whole life comes in this room right now and strips down naked, and you, you are, you know, you, could you not look at her? Could you employ the will to not look at this beautiful woman as she strips down naked? And all the guys say, no, there is no way that I would not be able to look at her. Zero way that I would not be able to take that beauty. And I mean, I'm in here for life. I'm never going to get that chance again. Who cares? You know, I'm, I'm letting it roll, right? No way. No way. So Michael reproposes. Okay, if at this moment the, the governor came in here with your pardon ready, with the keys to your new house in Malibu, with the keys to your, your new car, uh, your whatever it is, whatever car you fancy, I don't know. He, he came up with some good ones, but I'm not good with cars. Um, if they, if uh, you had all of these things promised to you, you were out of here tomorrow, if you didn't look at that woman when she comes in and strips down naked, would you then be able to not look at her? And clearly all of them say, of course, then I would not be able, then I would not look at that woman. Then I would keep my eyes sealed so shut. You wouldn't be able to open them for a week. Right. I mean, I'm now I'm 
go, I'm taking his, his, uh, his, his story a bit further, but that is, that is it right there. I thought this was such a brilliant teaching and such a brilliant reminder. You are able, but you are using your free will in ways that are not expanding your potential all the time. And this doesn't go for everyone. And certainly someone who's listened to this podcast up until now, it does not apply to you. Okay. However, the vast majority of humanity, it will apply in the sense that I'm going to go for that short-term satisfaction and that short-term whatever, and I'm going to forsake the long-term magnificence of my being for it. Now, if you could get a glimpse of the potentials that exist within you, and you could hold that in your vision, you would not hesitate a moment to keep your disciplines, whatever your disciplines are, because they are unique to you. Does that answer your question, Freddie? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That is, it's fantastic. I, I think it's really, it's almost, con it's not, people would think potentially that it's consequence, but it's really not. There's, there's so much more in, into it and under it. I think it's, um, I think it's incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. I want to round the podcast off with a, with a couple of questions. But first I'll ask you, you know, you've worked with, this is quite a cool list for anyone listening. Uh, and a lot of this is, is work that goes through and is in the books, which we'll have in the, the link below as well. But you've worked with the likes of NASA, Universal Music Group, Google, Nike, Starbucks, the US military. You've recently been on uh, Necker Island with Virgin and Richard Branson. What do they all have in common that you see and that you can work on and that something potentially we as you know mere mortals wouldn't understand but it's actually more common than you think that you're seeing in these incredible people and companies at the senior level that we can all learn from i think it's all down to uh, and we all are seeking this all of us all of us we're all seeking that truth we're all seeking that divine truth the difference between someone like, uh, and I, again, I'm, I'm assuming this with what I saw from Richard when I was on his island, but the difference between someone like Richard and someone like a, a lot of other people is that um, I believe he knows that he's it, whereas many other people have forgotten and eclipsed the realization that they are it, that they are all of it that they are the cosmos. I saw this, he showed this video or they showed this video when we were there and he was talking to us. It was a small, intimate, beautiful group and um, showed this image of him taking off into outer space, you know, in his own space shuttle. And I was like, since we've been talking so much about space uh, and I was like, wow, this dude doesn't believe that anything's impossible for him. And that is the truth. That is the truth. And it is the truth for all of us. And we're all quietly either seeking it or shying away from it. It's like that famous quote. It's been attributed to, to different people. I've, um, I've heard it mostly attributed to Miriam Williamson, but it's this idea that your greatest fear is that you're not inadequate. Your greatest fear is that you're powerful beyond measure. When you let go of the fear and you allow this massive potential to open up and you're just like, well, what, what else? What else is available? Those people, uh, the Elon Musk's that, you know, whomever it is, um, they're very aware that, uh, we're on a, I think, I, I believe that they're very aware that we're on a stage, you know, as Shakespeare put it, all the world's a stage, right? And they can play in all of these different uh, 
costumes, masks, guises. It's like, uh, there's that beautiful poem, Chesterton, I think it's, um, behold, you know, the million masks of God, right? It's like, we're all of this, only some of us are aware of it and some of us are less aware. Bring your awareness back. It's, it's, it's that simple. Guide it back. Yeah, I think it's it's amazing. And it's sort of this, that resonates really nicely with everything I think we've spoken through this episode. You know, it's been it's been quite a journey. I've got a couple of questions just to finish off, uh, Courtney. First one is I'd love a book recommendation. We've already got your two books in the comments below and I, I can't wait to, to find the third one when, it, when it's released. But what is a book recommendation that people can listen to or read, sorry, now? Yeah. So last time we talked, I shared The Holographic Universe, which is one of my favorite books of all time written by, um, oh gosh, Michael Talbot. I, I, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on his last name. That No, that's, I think that's right. Yes. And uh, it's an absolutely brilliant book. I actually haven't revisited it in a couple of years, so I'm going to go back and reread it. By the way, that's my biggest suggestion about books. If you find one that resonates, stay with it until the material becomes your own. Don't just pass on to the next one. That's not going to do you any good. But I do want to suggest another one because it's very in line with the conversations we've been having and is very opening. If someone's ready for it, it's a very expansive book. Um, it's the autobiography of a yogi. And that book, if you're ready for it, is a, wow. That book's a treasure house of your potentials. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. I've not heard of either of those. And then the last question mm. for you is if you had a full free day, which I know is how you structure your life anyway, with this, this amazing <laughs> outfit, if you had a full free day, how would you spend it? So how would you spend a normal day effectively? <laughs> I wake up every day and I just am excited about whatever's going to happen. Some of those things I know, uh, or I, even if I had a quote unquote free day, but they're all free days, right? This is the being free in yourself. Um, I know I talked last time because I just got back from a week offline where I, you know, didn't look at any screens. And when I, I well, one day, because it was my birthday, I looked at some screens because people were uh, ca calling in and, and writing in from all over the world. But uh, I, I spent most of my days actually were just spent uh, reading, mm, being in just quiet communion with this uh, force source energy that I've been talking about all along, resting, just laying down, doing absolutely nothing, um, going a little bit by the sea. But what I would suggest is this ideal normal day, which is I'm just going to be excited about whatever happens. And I don't even know what that is. And you don't know what it is. Even if you think I know what it is, like if I think, oh, I, I know what this is, then I've lost the magic from the get-go. If I think, oh, I'm going to be talking to Freddie and we're going to talk about this, that, and the other. Like lots of times when I get these interview requests, they send me all of these questions and they want me to prepare for this question. And I'm like, I can't do it that way because my whole life has been my preparation. We, we'll talk. We'll have an open, honest conversation. Nothing scripted. Just enjoy. It's going to change all the time. The only constant is change. You just let it. You just let it. It's so, it's so much fun. <laughs> it's perfect. Courtney, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a really amazing conversation. I've certainly taken so much from it. I'm sure all the listeners have. There's loads of stuff in the comments below and the, the description below where we can find your book and find you online and listen to your talks. But yeah, I just want to thank you for joining me and sharing so much wisdom. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you to your parents. Thank you to everyone who listened. Sending a lot of love. <laughs>